Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sunlight Connections, a homeschool podcast. I'm going to be talking to Gina Muncie about how she teaches her gifted child. I'm so happy that you were able to join me today, Gina. If you could just give me a little introduction into your family, that would be great. Welcome. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Gina Muncie, and I homeschool my kids. Aveline, my daughter, is 10, and then I have an 18-month-old son, Lachlan, who really enjoys getting into everything we're doing. (laughs) Um, My husband and I are actually both second-generation homeschoolers. We were both homeschooled from preschool through high school, and neither of us thought we would homeschool our own kids until we had our daughter. (laughs) I was born in Oaxaca in southern Mexico, to American missionary parents, but spent most of my early childhood years in Eastern Europe in the former Yugoslavia, which is actually where my parents started homeschooling me. They were homeschool pioneers and they homeschooled behind the Iron Curtain. Most recently, I have lived in the sunny states of California and Florida, and I'm now in Tennessee in the outskirts of Nashville. I didn't think I would homeschool until we had our daughter and she asked us for a math book when she was three and a half years old and told us she was done with toys. (laughs) And I don't think any of the parenting books prepare you for that. (laughs) And then when she was four and a half, she'd been doing her math book for a year already, even before she could read. And she started reading and she went to the appendix of the microscope encyclopedia and one night asked to read us a bedtime story and started to read how to prepare a slide. And we were like, this is not going to be a normal ride. (laughs) So at that point, believe it or not, I was still thinking a traditional brick and mortar school where I could be very hands off was going to work. And I toured one and they laughed at me. So now I homeschool and I blog about it at my website, which you can find by going to ginamuncie.com. Very, very interesting. So you clearly have a gifted child and that is that makes you a great person to talk about this topic because we've been seeing a lot of questions about how to keep up with gifted children, what it means. So let's dive in and figure, you know, if you could just talk to us a little bit about what it means to, to be gifted and how to tell if your child is gifted. Yeah, absolutely. I think first, right out of the gate, uh, we need to address the word gifted because it's a really touchy word and it is a very touchy word. And I don't always necessarily like it, but it's the word that we have, right? So a gift being gifted really means to have a different neurological wiring it's a different way of looking at the world. So the gifted brain is not typical, it's atypical. And a gifted individual, the bottom line is a neurologically diverse individual. Um, Giftedness is a type of neurodiversity. So we have the word gifted and it can be sometimes not a word that people um, like to use or like to hear. And it's awkward to talk about. Um, culturally, we really have no problem accepting athletic giftedness or athletic acceleration. But when we start talking about cognitive difference, it can become very awkward. And for me, for a really long time, 
I was like, I'm not going to talk about this. You know, this isn't going to win me any friends in the homeschool groups. <laughs> um, but when you have a, a child who is not in kindergarten yet, and they're asking strangers, would you like to sing about the lymphatic system? I know a song about it. And people are like literally scurrying away or they're standing there and talking to her and going, I can't believe what is happening right now. Like, I'm an introvert. And so for me, those experiences were like, I just want to disappear into the floor of the grocery store, <laughs> right? Um, and then try to go to a homeschool group and fly under the radar. Like, it just doesn't work. So, and then I, I got kind of convicted personally, like, God, this is not right for me to want to remain silent. This is the way God created my child. Like, this is he knit her together and made her in this incredibly unique way. And this is not something that I could have come up with or taught her to be this way. You know, this is, it's God given. Um, so that's kind of a, a bit of a personal reflection on it. Now, I, I'm not a psychologist. So when we talk about formal diagnosis of giftedness, like the assessments and the IQ tests, that's all outside the realm of my expertise. Um, I can dive into clinical terms really quickly here. Uh, a gifted individual would be, in clinical terms, someone who's two standard deviations above the norm. So it's a real definable difference in neurology. It's a, a brain with a gifted wiring. So that's kind of an answer about the diagnosis of a gifted child, right? But right. I think a lot of people listening might be like, well, how do I know if my child, like, um, my child isn't reading yet, you know, they're not, a, they're not an early reader, because that's not characteristic of all gifted kids. What are some identifying characteristics that I might um, notice in a gifted child? And I, I think, in terms of a gifted child, some people might define this as an, an intense curiosity. Um, you know, so it's not just being a grade level or two or three ahead of the same age peers, but an underlying intensity that looks like being incredibly more or incredibly extra, um, kind of an never stopping, always honestly like being awake. Right. <laughs> a lot of gifted kids need so much less sleep than average. Um, my daughter, I feel like she's been awake for 10 years. Just... Oh, wow in bed always thinking and trying to figure things out and really this inability to turn her brain off which um oh how marvelous she must be so easy to homeschool right <laughs> people say these things but uh someone who has a gifted neurology they might really only relax through really intense brain work right so in practical terms you might have a family gathering like christmas where it's getting louder and louder and everyone is visiting and laughing. And a, a child who's neurologically diverse might be in the corner reading chemistry textbook, yeah. right? Because that's the way that they can calm themselves down um, or choosing to work through some math problems um, as a way to relax. You know, that's a really different wiring. So a lot of people come up to me and say, how did you get her to do that? And I think that's really the wrong question yeah. <laughs> because she came to me this way. Um, I've made it a priority to nurture the curiosity that God has given her the, in the intensity, but 
I didn't wake up one morning and think, you know, it's in my parenting plan to raise a child who reads textbooks and owner's manuals for fun. Like, I don't think anybody wakes up and says that this is how they're going to do it. So accepting that that it's a, a real neurological diversity, I think is really helpful um, in terms of just accepting that you're gonna have to homeschool this child in a completely different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really good point is, you know, there is a difference between every child is, every child is gifted versus, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, the explanation you just, um, you just gave us. So I think that that's a really good way to tell is, um, yes, every child is a gift. Every child has a gift, mm -hmm. um, but that, that little extra is what, is what is makes the difference. So that's great. Yeah. And gifted kids too, they pick up things really quickly and fewer repetitions. So if you're, if you're teaching a gifted child, a standard lesson plan might seem really drawn out to them. And they might have trouble focusing and you might think it's because they don't understand the material. And it's really because they're frustrated and they don't need the, the concept explained to them that many times. Right. So a typical lesson plan, I read somewhere, um, curriculum developers might estimate seven or eight repetitions to teach a concept. A gifted kid honestly might have the concept down in one or two repetitions. And the really interesting thing to me and the always surprising thing to me is a lot of times those one to two repetitions to master a concept didn't come from me. So if I open up the textbook, I'm like, today we're going to learn about or open up the instructor's guide or the math teacher's manual. Today we're going to learn about this. And my daughter repeats back to me like an explanation of it um, that's even more deep and more involved than what I was about to explain to her. I think teaching gifted kids requires a lot of perception or discernment to really be in tune with your child and know their feedback and be able to tell what they need. And in that way too, it requires a lot of humility um, yeah. to sit down and think I'm gonna teach my daughter and this is what's on the lesson plan today and have it completely turn on its head. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm type A. I'm a planner and I like to be in control. So that part of it to me has been a challenge to learn to be more spontaneous in the things that I um, deviating from the lesson plans and going on those rabbit trails. And fortunately, that's something homeschoolers do really, really well, you know, without the need for an IEP or a 503, because all of homeschooling really is an individualized educational plan. Very good point. Yeah. Is there anything else that you find as you're homeschooling your accelerated learner that that maybe would be tips or helpful advice you can offer? Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things to me, and when I realized this piece, a lot of behavior issues that we had in our home started to make sense for me. Um, it's this idea of asynchronous development. And I actually wrote an article for Sunlight a couple years ago. You can find it on the blog under the special needs category. It's called Homeschooling and Asynchronous Child with Sunlight. And in asynchronous development, well, first we understand that any child, they don't progress at the same rate across all subject areas, which is one of the reasons homeschooling can be so powerful. 
a child might be working at grade level in reading and they're a little bit behind what the standards are for math, right? So homeschoolers are really good at meeting those needs. Well, when those gaps between subject areas or in between skill developments are really, really wide, if there's a really big disparity between the development in one area and the development in another, we call that asynchronous development. And a lot of people have probably seen this and just didn't know there was a name for it. Well, in gifted kids, the gap between these knowledge points can be absolutely massive. So a child with asynchronous development, are, they can be many ages at once. So he or she may be significantly ahead of grade level standards and one or more topics of study, right? The giftedness part, and yet considerably behind same age peers and the others. And when you have a child like that in a traditional brick and mortar education, they're often evaluated at their lowest point, right? And in a gifted child, if you put all of their work, well, with any child, you, you give them all their work at the at the level that they struggle the most in, the child isn't gonna be thriving, right? And they're never gonna be given a chance to be challenged. So in a synchronous development, you might have a kid who is reading an encyclopedia when they're four, but emotionally and socially, they might act more like they're two. Or when they're seven and they're reading Charles Dickens, they might be rolling around on the floor like a three-year-old right it might look like a kid um which was my daughter who can do all kinds of math way before um, she could write or read and so she used number stamps to write down her answers and i think finding those little ways that you can accommodate for your gifted child's quirks or really i mean these tips apply no matter what child you're homeschooling right mm -hmm. like a lot of times in the sunlight instructor's guide the instructor's guide will urge you to be a scribe for your child, to write for your child. And I love that because we, we don't want to exhaust the child in areas that are more difficult for them when they're ready to soar in other areas. How do you keep the pace as if you have a, a big reader, someone who zooms through the books quickly? Oh, well, first of all, I think you have to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to keep up. Yeah, right. You really, you really aren't going to be able to keep up. And, and it, this is why it's so crucial to give your kids that solid foundation of truth and to teach them to identify and articulate what they believe, because you're not going to be able to go before them and read every single book. And this is really what sets sunlight apart is kids read real world books. They don't read rewritten filtered textbooks. So they're learning to talk their way through what the real world holds. And the aim with sunlight isn't just for kids to parrot back a worldview, but to truly develop that worldview deep in their souls. And I think that's so important. It's just so important for life. And when you have a kid who's zooming through books, you want them to have that firm foundation of truth and the ability to discern. So for me, I've had to accept this is a part of my job description, right? I'm going to be spending a significant amount of my time finding more books to read, whether that's at the library or screening books on the fly as I'm putting hold lists in at the library. Um, and I find this quote 
by Elizabeth Elliot really encouraging in terms of just surrendering what we want to do in that moment to give um, back to God, knowing what our children need us to do. I'm going to read this Elizabeth Elliot quote. She says, this job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to him. Therefore, it is to be gl done gladly if it's done for him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. So when I think about how do I keep up with a learner like this, I realize that the labor of love in keeping up is an offering to our Lord himself. Um, and that really helps me keep perspective as sometimes it feels like the job of homeschooling never ends, right? Yeah. It's like the job of motherhood never ends and there's always something more. There's somebody up in the middle of the night. There's always something calling for us. And just knowing that all of those actions are something we can give back to God as our offering, as our worship is just really foundational, I think. And then I have come up with a few um, shortcuts along the way to really help in making sure that the books that are being consumed aren't completely terrible. <laughs> and one big thing is just to utilize series of books. So many of the books in Sunlight Levels are part of series. So if you use Sunlight Books as a starting point and then read more by the same series or by the same author, that is a really, really great way to get dozens more books. I know in level A, um, sunlight includes in grandma's attic. And then I think it's in fourth grade, kids read more stories from grandma's attic. Well, that's an entire series. And there's even a few more that are out of print. And then um, Eleanor Estes is another author who has 100 dresses in level A. And Ginger, Pro Ginger Pie, I think, is in fourth grade as well. And she's written so many more books. So that's been really helpful to us. And then the year of the baby in level B, there's year of the book, year of the fortune cookie, um, year of the garden, I think, and maybe one more. Uh, those are just such a rich rabbit trail to go to the series that are listed um, from Sunlight Books. And then summer readers, yeah. you can branch out on the series of summer readers as well which has been really helpful for us in finding books and then another big part of our family culture is rereading um i posted in the sunlight connections group recently a picture of my daughter reading my father's dragon from level a and um we we reread the same book many many times and so i think it's really helpful to normalize reading the same book many times and to take that journey again and again. And I do think that that's something that can be taught. And I think a big part of that is not treating the read alouds and the readers like their schoolwork, but to treat the books like their invitation invitations to a journey. Um, so what I always do is I always have the school books for the year on a separate shelf um, so they don't get read before we're going to use them. <laughs> So no, you can't read all your readers the day they arrive, even though you want to. <laughs> so we, there's this um, suspense and excitement building. And when we read a book, we don't count down until it's done. We count down until it's a free read. Mm 
So when I finish a book, I've always made a big deal of moving that book to the free reads shelf, which is, of course, just the regular bookshelf. But there's no longer any time limits on that book. Like you can read it whenever you want. It's fair game. There's no restrictions. And so we don't fit read and then celebrate. Woo, we're done with the book. We read and then we say, woo, we can start it again whenever we want. And that will really, really help if you can develop a culture of rereading in your home. It's kind of like leftovers, but better because <laughs> it's just as good every single time. And I think um, another practical way to keep up with a voracious reader is to really open your mind to the idea of nonfiction being read for fun. Um, so in the same way that we always move the chapter books to the free reads shelf, you know, you can do that with the science encyclopedias too. And, you know, you might not have a kid who's reading the appendix of the science encyclopedias, but I bet they'll pull it back off the shelf to look up their favorite animal. And when they do that, they're going to stumble across a dozen other entries that are fascinating as well. So nonfiction can really help you out when you're going to the library too. Um, because a lot of times the middle grade readers are just the wild west at the library. Yeah. But nonfiction, you can, you can screen those a little more easily. Um, and nonfiction really too, if you have a really logical child or a child who's really black and white and maybe more of a rigid thinker, um, fiction, nonfiction can really touch their heart in ways that um, someone else who's more of a gray area thinker might prefer fiction. So nonfiction, I think, is often overlooked as a really extraordinary gift to a reader. Absolutely. When my son picks up a book, it's always about something to do with science. Yes. And he just reads little ex ex excerpts from the book, but he, mm -hmm. he really does enjoy learning about that stuff. So yes, yes. I and I think... It. I think um, people might overlook that, like mm -hmm. these, these science books are school books. Um, and yeah, they are, but we also want to nurture lifelong learning, right? Like we don't stop, we don't stop finding out about things when we graduate. So um, we really, really enjoy nonfiction in this home. I also love what you said about rereading. I think there have been books that I've read for different reasons in my life and when I go back and reread them, I pick up different things too. Like you, you might pick up different pieces of the book that, or you might look at it in a different light once you, once you kind of know the end, you know? So it's very true. It's mm -hmm. very true. And, and also you may read a book one time and then you read a different book and you learn something about the background setting of the book or the time in history. And then when you go back and reread it, you have a whole other layer of understanding, yeah. a whole new lens into it. And it's so, um, it's especially good for gifted kids, right? To just have access to a library of books that they can read and reread and reread. So that kind of lends itself to one of the questions I was gonna bring up was, you know, why do you think literature-based learning works for gifted students? And you've kind of answered it, but is there anything else that you can maybe pinpoint here that um, would help people understand why something like Sunlight might work for a gifted student? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, one main thing that pops into mind, right, is that there's no grade levels on a book. Mm -hmm. um, 
a well-written story, you can get something, like you said, you can get something new out of it each time you read it. And a well-written story appeals to everyone from the youngest student right up to the adult. I mean, this is why reading aloud to kids is such a time-honored family activity. And I think one of the big reasons in our home that it works well for gifted kids is because there's no artificial point of, oh, I mastered this. I don't need to work on it anymore. Because I think the temptation for a child for whom things tend to come really easily to them in certain subject areas, there may be um, sometimes a struggle when things get difficult to not realize that, that the struggle is normal. And just because you didn't understand it the first time you read it doesn't mean that you need to stop. So um, you can't master a book, right? A book Mm -hmm. is something you can keep learning from. Mm -hmm. So whereas if in math, let's say you accelerate instruction and you skip every other problem, you work at a faster pace, the answer in literature is not to read faster, but to read more deeply or to read more broadly. Um, So I think books are such a great complement to curiosity. And uh, another reason literature-based learning works so well for gifted kids um, goes back to what we talked about with the asynchronous development. Um, Gifted kids, their motor skills might not be caught up to their other academic skills, right? Mm -hmm. So reading and listening and discussing, that doesn't require burnout, putting pencil to paper too many times. So you can you can put in these accommodations for your gifted child much more easily with a literature-based education because you're not having to adapt for struggles with worksheets or with struggles for needing to sit still at a desk and complete something. I mean, you can read aloud while your child is scooting back and forth on the floor and that's not going to affect Um, whether or not your child learned that day. You know, they may never have to pick up a pencil all day if if they're having um, an aversion to pencils on that particular day. And you can just continue the education. So that flexibility, Um, which brings me back to, we we mentioned asynchronous development, but I want to quickly touch on um, the the idea of a twice exceptional child. Mm -hmm. So a twice exceptional child, you might have heard in regards to a gifted individual saying, oh, so-and-so is 2E. Well, a twice exceptional child has, might have giftedness and another diagnosis, such as dyslexia or a sensor, sensory processing disorder um, or autism or ADHD. And sometimes that second diagnosis can mask the giftedness to a certain degree. Um, a, a message I really, really am passionate about is that it's an absolute myth that gifted kids don't struggle or that they don't need support or that they're just easily gliding along to straight A's. Um, Giftedness is often really confused with high academic achievement and it can be, right? Like a gifted kid can get all A's, but that's not how we define giftedness, especially with twice exceptional kids. So homeschooling, I appreciate homeschooling because it allows me to meet the needs, whether they're academic needs by accelerating in math, right? Mm -hmm. Or sensory needs, um, turning on a lamp instead of an overhead light, um, using an exercise ball instead of a chair, 
allowing my daughter to rock or bounce as she works. There's no rules against chewing gum in my house, right? There's no limits on fidgeting in my house. Um, if it gets too loud, she can put noise blocking earmuffs on. She can hang upside down from the chin up bar. Mm -hmm. She can surround herself in fuzzy blankets and pillows and pet them while she's thinking. Like in a, in a brick and mortar school, unless you have a really, um, a really excellent teacher who is knows what's going on with the child, these can, these things can be harder to, to communicate um, to a school administration. And of course, there are situations where um, these needs are met very well in schools, but there are also other situations where children are struggling because these um, things aren't permitted for yeah. kids to be able to do these during school. And so there are so many ways that homeschoolers can, we can meet our kids where they are. And so many of those things really have very little to do with what we think of as academics. So I, we talked a, a bit about like giftedness being this, you know, two standard deviations above the norm or above grade level. But when you come back to the idea of twice exceptionality is, I think it's really helpful to think of gifted kids as high needs or extra needs learners. So we can be um, sensitive and respectful of the quirks and what they do need to, um, to thrive and to survive. Um, and so that kind of a roundabout way to answer the question about literature-based learning. Um, I think it works for gifted kids too, because when, you, when you're reading a book, you can't just recite back the answers. Um, this is something I really love about sunlight, right? Like you can't just parrot back the answers. It's not, you didn't drill the answers into your kid and now they have them memorized. There's, you get into real issues. So um, gifted kids, honestly, like any kid, they can be strong-willed and stubborn and maybe even a little rebellious. And you're never gonna force someone to believe something which can only come through a transformed heart. Um, and we're not saved from the outside in through some sort of morality tale or character curriculum, but Jesus transforms us from the inside out. And some of the greatest beauty of literature-based education really comes from the discussions which accompany a book, right? And sometimes yeah. these discussions happen months after you read the book together. And the best books really change something inside of you um, where it matters and stories are made to touch our souls. I think one of the temptations with homeschooling a gifted child is to focus so much on the academics that we forget that these little sponges who are reading the encyclopedia really, really need the deep parts of their soul touched as well. And I really believe the best stories draw us to Christ and teach us to be better neighbors to those around us. And the literature is just a profoundly powerful way to equip children to face the world. Now, there's books are... It's an endless resource and they really have the, the power to touch us in our souls where, where it matters most. Absolutely. I, I, you know, books also are the natural way for learning. You know, we, Jesus told stories. We tell stories yes. before, um, you know, my kids always like to hear stories of when I was little, you know, it's just part of the, nature of humans so I do think that learning from literature is just that natural way um, of learning from stories which we're doing anyway 
Yes, and that brings up a good point too about um, sometimes sometimes a child who has maybe a diagnosis can struggle with empathy, um, not because they're vicious, but just because they're so literal minded that they just can't sense those nuances. And we can teach empathy so beautifully through stories. It's just Absolutely. such a beautiful way to be a, to read a story and ask, how do you think this person felt in this situation? And the empathy through stories, because it's such a natural way to learn, it's a part of um, the whole child education that you can't get if you're not reading books. And if a really rigid thinking, black and white thinker, um, literal-minded child is not reading stories, they're missing out on a whole entire integral part of really a soul development, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so the last question I wanted to, or the last topic I wanted to talk about, and um, this is just more in general. We talked a lot about books. We talked a lot about you know, how to adjust maybe how you structure your homeschool, but how do you really, you know, meet their thirst for knowledge? Because I'm guessing as you've explained your daughter to us, she really is always thirsting for more. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so how do you meet that need? Oh, this might be a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, this is, let's see, where to start on this one? Because it is, it's nonstop, right? Right. Hmm. You know, my first advice here is to pray and to parent from your knees and ask God for wisdom. He always gives us wisdom when we ask. Um, part of meeting our thirst for knowledge, I think, their thirst for knowledge is honoring the person God created them to be. Honoring the person God created them to be. And you may have a child who is nothing like you, not interested in the same things you're interested in, doesn't learn like you, completely different person. And we need to parent the child God gave us, not the child we were when we were kids mm -hmm. and not the child we imagined we would homeschool, but the child God gave us. So part of honoring who God made my child to be is letting go of some of my type A tendencies and I tell moms, because I'm preaching to myself, parents don't frustrate your kids. Give them space to be. Don't make them drill concepts, even if the teacher's manual tells you to. Mm -hmm. Remember, these kids are neurodiverse. And not frustrating your children is a concept that no matter what kind of learner you're homeschooling, right? But especially for atypical brains, um, the way you educate a gifted child is just so different. And don't overdo review. A good way to honor their thirst for knowledge is not to make them spend time reviewing things they already know. Um, this is a hard word for a certain personality of homeschool mom. I get it. <laughs> I'm type A as well. But if you're homeschooling gifted child, the child God gave you doesn't need all that review. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the curriculum is set up to constantly review. So exactly, okay exactly. Yeah, good point. It good is, point. it is okay to skip that. And so I think as, as homeschool teachers, we need to give ourselves permission to skip it. And if you're really budget conscious and you paid money for curriculum, and then your child already knows like 30 pages in a row, that might hurt. 
right? <laughs> but you need to just pick up those pages and turn them over because you're not honoring the child that God gave you if you are making them endlessly review things. And this is actually really interesting here because um, they've done studies on gifted kids uh, and, and on the way that a child with gifted neurology learns. So we talked a bit about how that gifted student is not going to need the review. They may need far fewer exposures before they master a concept. It's actually deeper than that. Excess review in a gifted child can actually work backwards. If you review too much, a gifted kid will actually start making mistakes. Um, in the 90s, a gifted education researcher named Karen Rogers, she found that gifted students are significantly more likely to forget or mislearn science and math content when they drill and review more than two to three times. When I first heard that, I was really shocked. Yeah. They, they're more likely to forget or mislearn when they drill and review more than two to three times. Now, if you're following curriculum, a standard math or science curriculum, the way it's written, you're going to review something more than two to three times. So that's one of the big reasons that we love um, sunlight science is because it is so organic and you're learning in such a narrative story-driven way that it doesn't have that cycle of drill and review. So my daughter absorbs so much from sunlight science because it it feeds her the information in a very in a way that's very natural to her brain. Um, but let's go. Let's talk about math for a minute because this is a it's a a common misconception that it's easy to homeschool gift kids who are gifted in math, but it can go really haywire. Yeah. <laughs> so let's say that we have a student. Let's just say Johnny's in fourth grade. Okay. Um, fourth grade math is super boring because he does sixth grade math in his head for fun when it gets too loud in the house. <laughs> he does, he reads math books from the library for fun on the weekends, but he's in fourth grade. And so in his fourth grade math curriculum, he's given review drills. He doesn't need the review drills. He already knows these things, but he's made to review at the pace the teacher's manual says to go. And now here comes homeschool mom and she's a box checker. And so she doesn't want any gaps, like the fear of the gap. Everything has to be reviewed because we don't want any gaps. The more Johnny has to review, the more mistakes he makes, right? This is what studies have shown. So the more mistakes he makes, the more his mom thinks, I, you know what? I wonder if he missed something in third grade math. Hmm. So she makes him go back. And now he's drilling and reviewing third grade math. Now, remember asynchronous development, he's probably more of a second grader emotionally. So he's, and that's on a good day, right? So he's really frustrated and he's melting down and now he's acting like a kindergartner. And his mom is super frustrated and thinks he's probably not gifted at all. He, and she's convinced he's struggling in math and needs to go back to the basics. She keeps going back. The answer, he probably first needs some protein and a fuzzy good. pillow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Some sunshine, a break. And then when we come back to math the next day, he probably needs a math book that's really a lot more challenging. So part of meeting 
the thirst for learning and gifted kids and that thirst for knowledge is to recognize that the gifted neurology has these quirks in it that make it really hard to pinpoint where they're at. Now, I've seen this over and over again with my daughter. It's paradoxical and it's true. Um, gifted kids can just, they, they start to go backwards in their math calculations and stuff when they're asked to review it over and over. And it's hard for me. And it's humbling sometimes, right? Because you're teaching something. And you know, our pride can be like, I'm going to teach my child how to multiply fractions today. The kid already knows it. But you're like, well, I, I can I count it as math if he already knows it, right? We're just going to do some of it real quick. And well, and then you review it a few more times and a few more times. So I've had to learn to really um, respect the knowledge that she has and find ways that I can challenge her more. Um, so a big part of that in subjects like math and science is acceleration. So um, that same Australian researcher, Karen Rogers, she also found that gifted kids are more likely to retain science and math correctly when they do it two to three times faster than the normal class pace. So you have not um, learning in fewer repetitions, learning at an accelerated rate. Well, if you're burning through standard curriculum, you're basically broke at this point, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you, you're gonna have to put in another order. For things like math, okay, we're gonna keep progressing in math. But for things like language arts and reading and literature, that is again why literature-based learning is so valuable because you don't read faster to satisfy that thirst for knowledge. You just read broader and wider. That's all very good. I want to say if you are purchasing directly from Sunlight, remember there is a return policy. And so you can look on our website and find all about the return policy that we do have. So if you find that your child is way more accelerated than what you initially thought when you started homeschooling or when you started with Sunlight, you can always make those changes. Um, but if your child is zooming right through it, <laughs> you're right, Gina, you will uh, have to buy additional <laughs> curriculum because you've went right through it. So the Sunlight Advisors, too, are really good at asking you questions to find out. Because in a lot of cases, if you're getting a package, you're going to maybe accelerate the math portion of it, or mm -hmm. but not necessarily the read-alouds or the readers. Because if you think about it, as adults, we're not reading at the top of our ability every single day. Right. And we still we enjoy what we read. Um, and especially with Sunlight Learners, um, we talk about the asynchronous development and another aspect of asynchronous development um, in gifted kids is your, the kid's emotional intelligence or EQ, as it's called. That emotional intelligence may not, all, not at all match up with the child's cognitive ability or IQ. Very and in fact, what we see all the time is the more advanced a child's is cognitively, the more out of balance their emotional quotient might be. So uh, I know for my daughter, she's, she is sensitive to themes in literature. And so we haven't found it necessary to really accelerate um, the literature portion of it, just give her the ability that she needs to soar in math, and then just enjoy those stories because they do appeal to such a wide range of ages. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, Gina, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I appreciate you talking about this. I think some people, it's just a nice way to walk through what it means to be, have a gifted child um, and maybe help people guide if they think they might have a gifted child, guide um, people into you know, getting that diagnosis or uh, being able to support their child educationally um, as needed. So thank you so much for joining. Again, you can find Gina at her blog through ginamuncie.com. And thank you, Gina. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. It's been a real honor to talk about these um, quirky kids and how we can support them in their education. And of course, I always love to talk about books. So I'll talk about books anytime. <laughs> well, I'm sure we all love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.